Welcome to Common Sense, your go-to place for market news, accounting updates, and everything in between. I'm Colin Williams. Alongside me today, my co-host, Christopher Florio. How are we doing today, Florio? We are pushing through about halfway through finals week. Almost about there. halfway done with the finals. Um, so it's been worse. You know, it's looking up. It's definitely been far worse. It's Fair. not great, right? Kind of like our GPAs. It's, yeah, it's been. It's not great, but it's been worse. Um, worth noting, we're bringing this to you on, or at least post-market Wednesday. So if something happens and it's really exciting on Thursday, we're probably not going to, no, sorry, we're definitely not going to talk about it because it's Wednesday and Thursday hasn't happened yet. I think if Colin or I had a time machine and knew it was going to happen on Thursday, we'd be doing far better things than this podcast. Right, Colin? That's fair. That's fair to say. I don't, you, I don't know. He sounds... You, you, it was just a bad joke, that's all. All right, okay. So I've gotten my bad joke out of the way. I think, Colin, we agree yeah, it's time for yours. For you. you got one for us as well. I do, I do. Colin, let's, let's just go with it, I guess. So we're going to start every show with a joke because who doesn't love a bad joke? Um, so it is the end of 2018, December 2018. Do you know what you had to have to do at the end of the year, Florio? What do I have to do? Well, you and every other American that is employed is they have to get your tax returns together. Uncle Sam always wants his piece. That is true. So, while tax season rolls around, can you tell me how you can tell if you found a good tax accountant? I, you know, a few different things jump to mind, none of which are probably politically correct enough to say yeah, on the show. Yeah, let's not say them then. Yeah, Colin, well, how do I know <laughs> if I found a good tax accountant? Well, he's got to have a loophole named after him. <laughs> Oh man! You know, he's given us, or he's given me, far worse accounting jokes. He's just not an accounting person. I think he just, you know, it, uh, some of the jokes I found very offensive as an accountant. Yes, um, they mostly they mostly complained about the personalities of accountants being boring. I mean, thank you. I guess thank you. It's no, worth noting. You're the minority. You're I'm not. the minority here. Okay, it's worth noting. Colin was an accounting major for a hot five minutes. Um, we just bored him too much, I think. Yeah, I fell asleep in class a couple times. Couldn't really couldn't get into I, it. I could say the same. I could say the same. It's it's just an unfortunate reality. Um, speaking of unfortunate realities, one that we brought you last week was the inverted treasury yield curve. Right. Um, the two-year and the five-year, right, there was this, there was a gap. The two-year had eclipsed the five-year. Uh, they're now right about even at 2.77%. Last time we went to CNBC for their data, that's probably changed. But um, they're, they're very close, pretty much a flat line. Um, 10 years at 2.91%, so it's a 14 basis point spread from the two-year. It had gone lower. I think it's a good sign that it's back up to 14 basis points. Um, Colin, it's not the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world. And like we talked about last week, this could mean that there's a recession going to happen in five years. It could mean there's a recession happening tomorrow. Or there's also a possibility that uh, there's not going to be any economic downturn. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes in the coming weeks and months and, I guess, years. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's that I don't think it's the end of the world. And just to note for those of those listeners who don't really understand what this means, um, basically consumer confidence is down in the long term. So people are not confident about the economy moving forward. Yep, and I think it's it's good to note again that uh, could happen whenever, could happen tomorrow, could happen two years from now. Again, I don't have the time machine. I'm kind of salty about that. I wish I did, you know, but... I'm sure Elon Musk has something that works. Probably he's probably got him. something that works. Again, I mean, it really wouldn't matter if we had the time machine and we told you exactly when it was going to happen. You couldn't trade on that information anyway. 
Um, yes, insider trading is bad and illegal. Do not do it. Thank you. Thank you for You're the clarification, welcome. Colin. Um, another hot phenomena, investors are refusing to buy the dip recently. What this means is that, generally speaking, uh, when the markets are over a five-day period, over a week, per se, uh, decrease, so there's a pullback. On that sixth day, historically speaking, investors have been very eager to pour cash back into the market, and the markets typically close up. Um, this year, on that sixth day, so after a five-day uh, pullback, markets are down four one-hundredths of a percent. Um, the first time this has happened since 2002. Colin, right. 2002 wasn't the best of times, right? No, coming right off of the dot-com crash. Um, I'm not sure, but to be honest with you, I'm right on this not buying on the dip either. Markets are so volatile right now, I'm not sure what's going on. So I'm just going to hold out, and I don't think it's a bad call for investors to just uh, sit on their current positions right now. Yeah, and I think we'll come back to that a little later in the show. Um, last couple times that figure was negative, where investors were continuing to sell on that sixth day, 1990, 2002. These are bear markets and recessions, right? Just what we love. Um, of course. Yeah, love is, is very sarcastic there. Um, so uh, definitely a couple of uh, an uncertain year altogether. I think that's what looking back, yeah, right? We definitely. were we flew high in January, and then we came crashing back down to earth. That's right. And then we kind of right, we're economy is looks like it's starting to overheat. I think in the long term, but we were flying high again in October, right? We were up ten percent on the year in January. We're up, we're up down, then... down back to zero. Ten percent up on the year in, in October, and now we're hovering right around zero again. So I think when we look back, uh, this will be a pretty lackluster year. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, it, we could end up 10% or we could end up down 10%. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter because when we look back at all the volatility, we can see how insane of a year it was. Yeah. Speaking of insane years, um, the U.S. and China are still talking. They're talking again, uh, kind of like that ex who never goes away. They just keep talking and nothing ever gets done. Um, so, Are you calling this from experience? Not necessarily, okay. no. Um but you know, it just it just it's a tough time uh, in terms of trade talks. Um, one of the big new developments, right? Automobile tariffs uh, or on Chinese imports, so United States products going into China. Right. That tariff's going to come down. We think, right? Again, none of this has been officially confirmed. This is what happened last time. The president tweeted all these wonderful things, and then Beijing said, "Wait a second, we never said that." And markets went up, markets went down. It's, you know, the usual. That's right. What that's, we come that's, to that's how it works nowadays, it seems like. So tariffs should go from 40 to 15%. That is huge news for German automobiles. Yes, you heard that correctly. Huge news for German automobiles produced in the U.S. Approximately two-thirds of the automobiles imported by China from the United States are German. So you're looking at BMW and, and Daimler. For those not familiar with Daimler, that's the parent company of Mercedes-Benz. Basically, uh, yeah, American auto is still not made in America. So this really doesn't impact us. So German engineering is back. Is that what you're telling me? Did it ever go away? I'm not sure. They just always talk about it on the commercials. <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that Mercedes or is that BMW? I don't even know. Uh, it could be both of them. I don't know. It's probably it's prob one or the other. One or the other. You know, the Germans just like to say they're back. They're always back, I guess. Um, Additionally, right, supposed to add more agricultural endpoints. I, I think it was soybeans was okay. a big one. Okay. Again, we're waiting on some sort of confirmation because um, this is all preliminary phone calls. Who knows how many translators are being involved? Because I can assure you, the president does not speak Chinese. There's just no way. Um, I mean, I can't speak Chinese. I don't. I don't think most people can't. Could speak Could Richard Chinese. Nixon speak Chinese when he went? 
I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. If you want, there's a really good SNL skit in which Ronald Reagan can speak about 12 different languages. I, I Maybe he could. Maybe. We never know. You never know. We'll, we'll, we, we will never know. That's true. Uh, important part of the show. We're, we're bringing this to you a little Ooh, bit my earlier. Favorite segment yeah. again. I'm glad we're bringing Colin, it back. Colin, I mean, there's a few repeat segments that we just want to bring to you week over week because... We well, can't not. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just so good. Um, this is Tom's net worth. Woo! So, for those not familiar who didn't listen to the first podcast, Shame stop. On you. Well, stop this podcast. Go listen to the first one. I promise you, this one will be here when you finish the first one. Um, so, if you haven't done that, you should definitely listen to that one. It's a great twenty minutes. It was a whole lot of fun to film. Uh, hopefully, it's not the worst twenty minutes of your life. But frankly, this is the second episode. If you're still listening, you obviously must like us for some weird reason. So the basis behind the segment of Tom's net worth is that Tom invested into Apple in about probably 2015, and we basically just track Apple, and that is his only position he has. He has zero diversification. So basically, the way Apple moves is the same exact way that Tom's net worth moves. He's down, like, big so he's down 27.2% from the October high. That was about 232 bucks. That's tough. They've slipped under 170. That's, you know, a variety of factors. Again, talked about all that last week. Not going to repeat that. They are up Monday to Wednesday this week. I don't know why. I really can't wrap my head around why with, with the news. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe people think that uh, the sell-off was a little too intense and they undervalued quickly. I don't know. I mean, they were just hit with some patent issues in China. Yeah, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, sales ban on the X, the 8, the 7, and the 6. It really pains me that there is no 9 in there. Yes, very much so. Is it the yeah. X or is it the 10? I think it's the X. Okay, okay. I think it's the I don't know for sure. I haven't watched the, the press releases or anything like that. Um, so it's a patent infringement on uh, Qualcomm chips. Uh, these chips were, I think they had to do with photo editing and I think swiping on the touchscreen. Um, it's going to affect, right, that sales ban is going to affect approximately 40% of their sales in China. Um, and the older models, unsurprisingly, are the more popular models because I would not want to pay anywhere near what people pay for their iPhones nowadays. Yeah, some of them are insane. I realize that Apple has offered like, lower-priced new phones, but even those are still uh, still highly priced. Yeah, I mean, this is they're looking at about $12 billion in sales to be affected here. Wow. Um, so the stock was down about 2% early in the week at this news. And then just randomly, it just opened up down 2%. And then by the end of lunchtime on, I think it was like Monday, it was back even. So I don't know. I, I never heard any positive news that would have driven the price there. Um, I, I'm lot not of, sure. You know, people were saying it could have just gone way down. You know, I, 170, you break the 175 barrier, what's to say 150 is not in the question? Um, yeah, it just, it's just another um, depiction of markets move how markets want to move and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason behind it and that's what's so awesome about this yes there is nothing more awesome than trying to predict something that has absolutely no base for being predicted this is why we need the time machine exactly you know what i think to any p potential future sponsors out there don't think of it as an investment in a podcast think of it as an investment in a time machine i think Right when we when we finish the podcast, I think we'll go back to the room and we'll start drawing up what this time machine is going to look like. I think me and Colin will really yeah, focus definitely. on that. When we take our creative break over the winter, we'll come back with two, hopefully working time machine prototypes. 
And hopefully sure, we don't though. get lost. Have you ever read The Time Machine? I think it's an H.G. Wells novel. I have not. I will add it to my reading list. All right. It's kind of interesting, and there's giant crabs at the end. I, I don't know if I want a time machine, now that I think more about it. We just it. said we wanted a time okay, machine. Okay, I'm not sure. We'll talk about this later. We'll get back to you next episode on what we decide. Okay, sounds good to me. Um, talked a little bit about alternative investments last week. Another new one. And this is something that, uh, unfortunately, Colin and I will never have the ability to experience. Yeah, I don't, definitely I don't not. foresee myself amassing this type of uh uh, a worth to, to invest in, in this type of goods. But um, Harvard is utilizing alter- – Harvard, yes, the Ivy League school. Unsurprisingly, there's some really smart people who go there. They've got some really smart people who work for them, who manage their money. Um, they're investing in land. Yes, land. Land. And not land, not agriculture land. It's something underneath the land. Yes. And it's not in Boston. So they are not opening up a Southern California campus. Not yet. Who knows? They are investing in vineyards in California. They started this a few years ago. They acquired approximately three square miles of uh, valley in California. And people around them were going, who on earth are these people? Obviously, they didn't do it as through Harvard University. There was a second company set up. Uh, and they paid huge premiums for these lands or for this land. When you look at the land today, the value is about $305 million. That's three times what they paid. Definitely. And their properties are a lot greener than everybody else's. And why is that? Water. Harvard University is betting on water. Essentially, they are saying that California water is of short supply. They are betting on lands that have high water tables, essentially. And the first thing they did when they acquired this land was they drilled wells. And they hit water at about 100 feet, and they kept drilling to in excess of 1,000 feet. Basically, they said, well, whenever the water table falls... It'll have to fall a heck of a lot for us to not have water. It's a really uh, interesting yeah, operation definitely, here. Definitely. I know a lot of times when we're talking about drilling into the land, usually oil is going to come out. And then that brings up questions about environmental safety and stuff like that. But what happens when we drill and get this asset of water, which is not harmful at all? Well, you have great things in California where they just can't seem to ever have enough water. Exactly. Right? It's been a few bad drought years. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, the vineyards are functioning, right? You can't go take tours, but I would assume that they're producing, right, Harvard Crimson, I would assume they're producing reds. Like California is known for their white wines, I want to say, though. Well, Harvard, they're college students. They're going to drink what they can get. Exactly. That's, that's a good way to look at it. They're just going to produce whatever the ground gives them, and they'll probably drink it and not think twice. So it's a really interesting investment opportunity. Yeah, if definitely. you've got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to pour into land in California. Yeah, definitely. And something else to note about this is, have you ever seen the movie The Big Short or read the book? I mean, I don't think I would be an accounting okay. or finance student if I hadn't. All right, so one of the characters, or the, character. the, real, he's a, he's a the real people, uh, Michael Burry, who was Christian Bale's character, I believe, in the movie. And he um, was phenomenal, I might add. Yes, very well. Very Watch well the movie if you haven't seen it. Um, at the very end of the movie, after he's predicted that the real estate market's going to crash and everything, he was not happy that all of this happened and wanted to move towards an alternative investment. And so in 2009, 2010, Michael Berry started investing in, yes, water. So this is not a necessarily new thing or something 
that is coming out of people who are not very bright. This is coming from multi-million billionaires who are expert financial analysts. So this could be a wave of the future, no pun intended on wave. So yeah, I mean, the long and short of it is these are people who are a lot richer and a lot smarter than us. That's not to mean that we can't aspire to be that, but I'm pretty grounded here, right? I think yeah, you are Yeah, definitely, well. definitely. Moving on, we're, you know, I took an Uber the other day. Yep. It, it happens there. Both Uber and Lyft are looking at IPOs. They've been kind of racing in terms of filing the paperwork. Uh, Lyft will file, and I'll get the notification, and then two days later, Uber will file, and I'll get the notification, and they'll say, wow, it's kind of funny that ride-sharing companies are racing. That seems a little hazardous. But uh, I think yeah. there's a few interesting things to discuss here when you've got two companies with extremely similar business models going public at basically the same time. Definitely, definitely. It's important to note that Uber is a much larger company than Lyft. I think a lot of people, you never hear somebody say, oh, yeah, I'm going to take a Lyft to get there. A friend Tommy would. Yeah, Tommy that McCormick, is true. Tommy that McCormick is true. if you are listening in Edinburgh, why, why do you take Lyfts? What's like? What what happened to you? Did you drop down your head as a child? What what would make you take a Lyft over an Uber? I'm not sure, but all I know is that Lyft is four times smaller than Uber is. Um, if we're talking about U.S. market size, Lyft has about thirty percent of the U.S. market, and Uber has about sixty percent of the U.S. market. I'm not really sure who has the other ten percent, but taxis, uh, yellow cabs. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, so it's important to note that even though that these are very similar ride-sharing companies going public at the same time, they are different. Um, they have the same assets. They have the same pretty much everything except one is a lot bigger and one is smaller. And Uber, which is a lot bigger, has also larger losses because of the size of the company, which is also interesting to note. Yeah, it's really interesting to note, right? Uber's losses were four times as large as Lyft's were one billion dollars uh, in, in losses, but Uber's four times as large as Lyft. So in theory, everything's proportional. That's here. fair. That's right? fair. I mean, we can look at it that way. Is there an advantage? Who's going to get? Well, who's going to get there first? I don't think we can tell. I that. don't know who's going to get there first, but I do think that there might be a slight advantage in uh, who who files and who who gets the IPO first. And one of the reasons behind that is, for those of you who don't know, how I, an IPO is an initial public offering. Basically, the company goes public and you can buy them on the stock market. Um, but what happens a lot of the times when the company goes before the company goes public is that they go on a thing called a roadshow, in which they take the investment banking company and the the company executives, and they go to all of these large asset firms, asset management firms. So they'll go to Fidelity and they'll go to I don't know T Rowe Price, somebody like that, and they'll basically pitch the offer, say, "Oh, you want to add this to your portfolio," um, and they'll both end up doing this, but. These portfolio managers might not want two ride-sharing companies in in their assets. So if one comes along and it's like, oh, you should buy us, they'll be like, okay, we'll buy into it. Um, and then when the second company comes along, they'll be like, no, we're okay. We already have a ride-sharing entity with us. So that's my take on it. I'm not sure if it's going to matter that much, but if anything is going to matter, it's going to be that portion. Yeah, and I think right, also you got to think about the stock price. Yeah. Generally, I mean, typically you have an IPO, uh, it'll IPO at a certain price. Uh, all the investors who couldn't get in on the first wave get on the second wave, drive the price way up, and then they all realize, whoa, that's a little too far. Price comes crashing back down. That's fine, a normal IPO, but then if you're trying to follow that up, well, I mean, it's the trend with IPOs, right. but you know, just this time, because it's the same company, 
Uh, if you're in that second wave, you might have harder time finding bidders if the first wave comes crashing back down a little too hard. Definitely. Um, so it's definitely interesting to see what Lyft is going to do, what Uber is going to do. Definitely, definitely. And uh, um, we'll be following I, that. Yeah, definitely. It'll, it'll be interesting. And we'll, we'll come to you later uh, in the weeks to come with more. Um, one other thing we wanted to add, um, we talked to our roommate, Ta- Tam, again. Uh, again, he is from Minnesota. so he, Speaks with a funny accent. So he calls himself Tam. Not really. That's just what we call him. Um, but he said, he's a biochem man- major, and he said, well, why don't you share some information with us about... Um, what to do if you're an early investor or a beginning investor and what you should do. What do you think? What do you think we should do with that? I'm staying out of it right now. All right. I am a bear. I am bearish. I don't think this is going any place good in the next three months. That's fair. I'd say wait for the prices to come down again. That's fair. Uh, For our listeners who probably do not know, Florio and I have pretty different investing philosophies for the most part. I definitely am a long-term investor. Get in early and hold a long time. Um, would you say that's fair? I, I, that's a very fair assumption. You know, this is what Colin wants to do with his life, uh, and he's very good at it. I'll give him that. Um, I, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily not thinking long term. I think even when you're thinking long term, if you're going to hold something for 30 years, what difference does three months make when you get in? That's um, fair. So it's again, if you think prices, if you have any inkling that prices are, are going to fall, I'd say hold out. That's fair. I think that's what I'll do. That's fair. Um, one thing that I would probably suggest for um, early investors, especially I know a lot of our listeners are uh, college-age students, um, you're going to be entering the job market soon. And if you're going to be working for in the public sector, um, there is something that will be very beneficial to you, and that is called a 401k. Or if you are not in the private sector and you're in the public sector, it'll be a 403b. Regardless, it is a retirement plan. These are very important assets for the rest of your life get in as soon as possible. Um, One of the more important things that these companies do with their 401k plans is that they offer an employee match. So what they do is you put up a certain amount to put towards your retirement, and then they will give you a percentage of that out of their own paycheck. So basically it's referred to as free money, and you shouldn't leave that free money on the table. 100% return on your investment. If you contribute 5% 5% of your gross, and your employer says we will match your 5%, all of a sudden you got 10% of your gross, and only 5 of it was yours. Definitely take advantage of that. Yeah, I can't. I, don't yeah, think, I think I that that's that probably the main um, thing for early investors to do. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and do that. So, Tom, that is what you should do when you enter your biotech firm or whatever you're doing. And, and broad-based index funds. Definitely. I think that's, that's the move. Uh, very, very low cost and oh, ridiculously low, ridiculously low cost. Tra- track the S and P five hundred. S and P five hundred was at one point up ten percent this year. We're shedding a single tear for the fact that it's come crashing down to earth. Um, but track the S and P five hundred. You've got five hundred companies to diversify with, right there, and you don't got to know anything about any of them. You just put your money in SPY. Not an ad. Not an ad. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like we like we've been saying. Uh, best thing to do for young beginner investors, just get started. That's all you need to do. Yep, definitely. Um, so can we go back to the Lyft thing and yeah. the Uber thing? Yeah, what's up? Um, so I, you and I took an Uber the other day. Yeah, and we did. We did. We did. It was uh, from Providence Place to Providence College mm-hmm. where we attend school, and you never paid me back. I asked you to Venmo me. I asked for cash. 
Oh, come on. I don't listen. Listen. I mean, you know what the bell means. Um, my hand, my phone was in my pocket. Couldn't get to it in time, right? I wasn't trying to feel you up next to me, trying to get my phone out of my pocket to, hey, oh, share Lyft or share Uber. Um, so, I mean, look, we heard the bell. Problem for another day. You know, you just got to respect that. We'll, right, get, we'll get to right, it. We'll fine. get there. That's you fine. Know. So, oh, is this the end of the show? I think so. It's been 20-something-odd minutes. You're probably asleep by now. We're that's half asleep. Sad. It's a late night. All right. Um, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Um, I guess that's, before we sign off, it's important to note that these comments and opinions are our own. Do not buy or sell solely based on what you hear. Yeah, that is all we have. Colin, would you like to do the honors? No, all you this time. Well, I am Christopher Florio. I'm Colin Williams. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hopefully we will get something to you over the winter break. If we do not, safe travels. Happy holidays. Best of luck at the start of 2019. We will see you hopefully before next year. If not, be well, everybody.